I'm Dr. Neff. I'm an autistic ADHD psychologist. And I'm Patrick Casal. I'm an autistic ADHD psychotherapist. And this is Divergent Conversations. And we are really happy to start this podcast together. So, Megan, episode one. We've been talking about this on Instagram and we're making this a reality. So do you want to take over and just kind of tell everyone what we're doing here? Yeah. So we have gotten to know each other through, we recorded two podcasts together on your podcast and then through messages, realized that it felt like we had a lot to talk about specifically around autism and ADHD. And we wanted to create a space where we could have more of those conversations. Yeah. And I think that's the really important part for our audience is to have those conversations. Um, Megan's going to talk a little bit about all the content that she creates and puts out on her Instagram and, and all the resources and the things that she does. And um, it's really important to also be able to have authentic, real conversations that our audience can listen to and participate in. And we want you all to be listening and just feeling like there's a place for you and there's a safe space for you because we realize so often that we get so much feedback about the work that we put out and it's just really important for us. So, um, Megan, did you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing behind the scenes, um, outside of this podcast? Sure. Um, okay. Um, yes, I do. But so a little bit of context for my life. Um, do you like how I need to nail down the prompt there a little bit more? Like, Patrick, that's too broad of a question. What am I doing here? Um, I can give you context for my life. Oh, actually, I had that thought as we were, like, starting this episode. And even as you were like, Megan, Anna, do you want to tell our audience what we're here about? I had that, like, moment of freeze of, like, oh, shit. Like, this is the kind of thing. I haven't prescripted it. This is a summary statement. How am I going to summarize, like, how this came to be? So it's interesting to be in this moment with you. We're creating a frame, but it's not yet established. And I'm noticing that autistic part of me is craving like, okay, what's the frames? What's the rules? What are we talking about here? So that's my interpersonal in the moment divergent thought. Back to your question. What's my context? Um, so my context, I live in the Northwest in the United States in Oregon. I have a small private practice where I work primarily with neurodivergent adults. And I do some autism and ADHD assessments. I think I'm one of a small handful of neurodivergent affirming assessors in the States. It's a slightly different assessment process. And then I create content on Instagram, mostly educational content. Neurodivergent Insights is my handle over there. Part of what I've been noticing I'm longing for, and one of the reasons I'm really excited for this project to get started, is that a lot of what I do is education. And the things that really get me excited is where I'm talking more vulnerably about the experience of being an autistic ADHD human. And I think that's what I noted in the conversations we've had in the past is it felt like we could go there pretty easily. And so that's what I'm hoping for this project is that we're able to grapple with both the joy and the grief and the complexity of what it means to be a neurodivergent human on this earth. Yeah. I love that. And I appreciate you also naming your vulnerability in the moment, because I think that's going to be an important part of this process of like, yeah, I need the prompt and I need it to be concrete right now. And it's so interesting how we are processing this experience uh, very differently 
uh, in the moment because as someone who, let me circle back and backtrack, I will give some context now. I am in the Southeast in Asheville, North Carolina, originally from upstate New York. I own a group practice here, Resilient Mind Counseling, um, made up predominantly of neurodivergent uh, therapists and prescribers and entrepreneurs. We specialize in ADHD and autism, uh, as well as the LGBTQ community. We, and then I also own All Things Private Practice, which is a private practice coaching business where I help therapists start and grow their businesses throughout the country and have a podcast, the All Things Private Practice podcast, and host domestic and entrepreneurial international retreats. I noticed as I'm talking right now, I'm like, ooh, do I even know my, my, my context or my bio? I hate bios. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, I think that, you know, the two episodes that you've come on my podcast and we've talked about our own experiences for me have been really freeing because it's really enjoyable to talk with someone who gets it. And we can almost like read and pick up off of each other's energy and experience and, and just it's, I remember the last episode you were on with me where you looked at me and you stopped talking and you're like, wow, this is really fucking dark right now. And I think what happened in the moment, because I've been getting feedback about that episode recently of like, oh my God, it wasn't dark at all. It was so validating. It was so helpful. I think what was happening is we were picking up on each other's vulnerabilities and we were really absorbing the pain and the grief and the struggle that we both experience on a Mm -hmm. daily basis. And even though we were putting the information out there very succinctly and very real and authentically, like, I think it was the energy that was being transferred back and forth is what I was, what we were experiencing that day, perhaps. And I'm excited to see where this goes. And you mentioned to me on Instagram, like, this has to be real, like, this cannot be cookie cutter. Like, I want deep conversation. I want real, authentic relationship. And, and I look into our lives and other neurodivergent folks who come on the podcast as guests really being able to be vulnerable and share their stories too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's something you and I have have talked about in our conversations is we crave place for complexity, place for nuance. And I I hear a lot of people talking about that these days that with so much communication um, kind of gravitating towards social media and these online spaces, I think we are losing the ability for some of those more complex nuanced conversations. And when it comes to neurodivergence, it is a really complex experience. And so we have to have space for this complicated, um, like, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, paradoxical, like like when you're trying to hold two things in tension, we need space for those sort of paradoxical conversations that are, they're just, they're hard to have, you know, in a 90 second reel or a single post or even a even a blog post, it can be a bit complicated to try and post that sort of nuance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so hard to capture in those moments because things can be misinterpreted. If you're you know, a, a 90 second reel, you can only can you can only put so much information into that. And it's so easy to pick something like that apart and to really have longer conversations and, and really get into some things that are really deep. And like you said, paradoxical, there's a lot of both things can be true in a lot of these conversations. And I think that that can be really challenging too, to try to make sense of. And I, I want to give some background on both of our, you know, stories as autistic ADHD people before even delving into the mental health component and the entrepreneurial component. Like life has been pretty hard 
in a lot of ways for, for yeah. both of us. And, you know, it, like Megan just said, there's challenges moment by moment in a lot of these days and just trying to figure out how you're feeling and what you're experiencing, what's coming up and, and reacting appropriately in, in those moments is, is quite challenging. So, you know, I am a, a late diagnosed autistic adult who was diagnosed last year um, after having plenty of suspicion most of my life. And after telling most of my close friends and family, they were not surprised, but I certainly was. And Megan and I have talked about grief before in terms of diagnoses, and it was challenging. And I think it was also liberating, and that feels paradoxical in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That's so well said. I um, had such a similar experience around, well, I, I think at first came the liberation for me. And um, for me, this is a very familiar story, especially for autistic um, adults. And I see this a lot, particularly among autistic moms is that it's after a child's diagnosis that we discover ourselves, And that was very much my story. And at first it was so liberating because I had been in depth therapy for about four years and I had probably a hundred questions or mysteries that frankly, I was working to come to acceptance of, I will never know I am the way that I am. So I was working to accept that my existence was a mystery. And then what fell into my lap was this one thing that explained all the mysteries. And that is such an empowering, freeing, liberating experience. And then came the grief, like, so the liberation. And then they're like, oh, wait, these are permanent limits. Um, this fatigue is probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And holding the both of that has been so important for my journey. Um, and I, I think you, you and I are both staunchly in the neurodivergent affirming world, I think it can be a little bit harder to talk about the grief and still sound affirming or be affirming. But I think it's deeply affirming to honor both experiences. I completely agree. And I think that is one of those things that feels really, really challenging to make sense of and to discuss openly and freely and, you know, to honor other experiences too. And I just know that my diagnosis came with grief immediately where I was just like, oh, well, this could have explained a lot when I was growing up had I known and had my parents ever decided to pursue any sort of support, which they did not. And then it came with a lot of questioning and then a lot of putting things together like, oh, that makes sense. Ooh, my, my Thai Beanie Baby and Garfield collection at an early age makes a lot of sense now. And, you mm -hmm. know, I... I think I see myself like really struggling in the social uh, aspect of all of this in terms of where things ended up landing for me and just realizing like that's why it's been so hard to make so many friendships and to, so hard to feel connected. And like yeah. you were saying, like searching for your arrival point, I I've often thought that like, what, what the hell is wrong with me? Why can't I connect with people? Like I know people care about me and they love me and they tell me this and I can make sense of that rationally. But I can't feel it. I can't absorb it. And I often don't feel that that feeling in a in a way that is also shared. And um, you know, I, I always made sense of the ADHD part. And I think that society does a good job of kind of helping cishet white men come to terms with being ADHD. Like it's like almost expected in a way at times of like, yeah, you're a young white man, like you have all this energy and like um mm -hmm. this is just who you are. And it's 
It's so much more complex than that. And also true to some degree, like all of our majority of our research is done on on white men and, and boys in particular. And, you know, I think that this last year has been really freeing because now I can say to myself, like, I understand my energy limits. I understand when I do and don't want to socialize and who I want to socialize with. I understand that I'm going to be using sensory or uh, soothing tools most of the time when I'm socializing. Um, and I just have to really be aware of where my energy goes. And I also know, like you said, like, oh, this is lifelong. Like, okay, this is something that I'm going to be managing and struggling with throughout the duration of my life. And I think that's hard to still come to terms with at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a, a random association to something you said, but you, you mentioned kind of the cultural script about being a white, het, cis, ADHD male. I'm also thinking about the fact that you are a late in life diagnosed white, cis, het, autistic man. Um, some of the people I work with that struggle the most with diagnosis and with imposter syndrome are late in life diagnosed white, cis, het men. Because like for me, I can be like, well, of course I wasn't identified. I'm, I'm a woman. I present in these other like non-stereotypical ways. Um, so when you can have something to point to of like, it makes sense I'm late identified. Um, I think in some ways, I mean, there's other challenges that come with that for sure. But it it um, it makes sense of the later diagnosis. I also feel like sometimes I, I have to catch myself of... It's like there's a split that happens of like gender queer, BIPOC, women, autism, white cis, like, and then those white cis men who get the diagnosis early. And so then it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you felt tension around that, but it's something I've been thinking about lately of um, partly the split. And I, I don't even like how I always talk about it because I realize I talk about it as if white cis het men with autism. Wow. That was a word slip. Autistic men um, have some kind of privilege as if they aren't also experiencing a lot of um, complexity around this. Yeah. And this is why we started this podcast. Because this, my, my thought process right now around my response is complicated. And it's so interesting because as someone who is late diagnosed, not knowing this throughout most of my life, you know, I don't think I would have ever, you know, had any thought or knowledge that I could fall into, you know, the, the neurodiversity, you know, marginalized community. I, I don't think I even, you know, I pass obviously very well in most, in most instances. And I didn't have to think about it. You know, I don't think I had to feel forced into thinking about identity because I have so much privilege and it's so complicated because I also struggled so fucking much growing up and childhood was hard. Adolescence was hard. Young adulthood was hard, but I know that it's harder for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it challenging to, to carry both and to kind of, to really conceptualize both our truth. And again, mm -hmm. lots of paradoxes here. And just, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it's challenging and it's, it's yeah. heavy. It's, it's just yeah. heavy. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Well, I was just going to jump in and like, this is part of the complexity of identity, right? Like both you and I, we're part of a neurominority and a lot of our pain is associated with that. We are also very, very privileged within our neurominority group, right? We're both entrepreneurs. We're both white. Um, I, I am like, I identify as gender queer. It's, that could be a whole other podcast. I am attached to the idea of being an autistic woman. Um, and I, I identify more as agender, but I have like het or I'm in a het cis partnership and I'm cis passing um, and cis presenting. So I've got a ton of privilege around like I've got het cis privilege, white privilege, economic privilege. Um, so we're, we're in this space where we're very privileged within our um, neurominority group. And then within society, we, we also have this marginalized experience. And to be able to speak to both of those experiences, um, honor both of those, I, th I think I know that my privileged identities provide so much buffer from my more marginalized identities. Um, and I think it's really important to talk about that. So much of autistic advocacy space is dominated by white um, privileged people who aren't considering the complexity around that. So yeah, here we are, episode one, and we've like we've um, kind of tripped into this huge conversation. Which is exactly, again, I want to just say, this is what we want because staying above the surface doesn't work for either of us. And artificiality doesn't work. And it's so challenging to, to just not have real depth conversation too. And we can also say that if we were recording prior to recording, you would have seen that Megan and I were using artificial intelligence to talk about a weird children's book that I had it right today and all sorts of other shit. So like, you know, rabbit holes galore. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I think it's important to just really name what you just named and we'll continue to advocate and we'll continue to show up and honor and listen to people whose, whose voices really matter. And we want to have a lot of those folks on this podcast too. Mm -hmm. When you messaged me originally, we were talking about this idea and I think you said something that really stuck out, stood out to me, which was something like, I'll bring the chaos and you'll help organize it. And I feel like that could definitely be the tagline here. But it's so interesting how, you know, sometimes my autistic self it like really is dominant. And other times ADHD is like, nope, I'm here. Like this is this is my show. So hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? First of all, it's so funny. Okay, so... I, I like Carl Jung, who's a um, psychoanalytic person, and he talks about the collective energy or the collective um, unconscious. And right before you said the thing about the chaos and the order, I was having the thought, because you were like pulling us back out of this kind of complex puddle that I'd led us to, and you were giving like bird eye view. And I was like, oh, this is the chaos order thing. And then yes. you you mentioned it. So um, I just bought my... One of my uh, staff, who is a big Jungian therapist and psychoanalyst, uh, Jungian tarot cards and Jungian socks for our Ooh. holiday party that we just had. Just wanted to name that. That's, so, Zach, if you ever listen to this, you're welcome. That's a good gift. So, anyway, uh, the chaos and order piece and the organization of the chaos, because I think that can flip-flop all the time, right? Like, because there are definitely things that I really struggled with structure and orderliness around. And there are lots of people in my life who are like 
they have spreadsheets for their spreadsheets and they're very happy about this. And I cannot make sense of that. Like my brain doesn't work that way. Spreadsheets freak me out. Um, but I know how helpful they can be. And I'm just curious about your processes in terms of when you said that to me and, and just in general. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I mean, you were even surprised. I think it partly I took a screenshot of my computer and I had, you know, like 15 browsers open. It's real reaction. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I am very, it's interesting. I think I present to the world um, it, more organized and perhaps more autistic than I am. My Like my work process is very ADHD, which I'm sure is part of my stress. Um, like if you opened up my Canva, which is where I make all my infographics, like it is just a mess. There's no order to it, which makes it really hard to find like templates or whatnot. So my process is pretty disorganized. Um, I tend to somehow be able to wrap it up into a way that I think like when I present a infographic or a blog post, I think it has some order to it. But the behind the scenes is just like a messy closet of like whirlwind, um, which I'm sure contributes to my stress. And and I wish I had the executive functioning to know how to create those systems. I just that is not my strength. Yeah. I appreciate you naming that. And those are, those are the things that I feel like are my strengths. And then I have this system where internal chaos, it's more like my mm -hmm. ideas are all in my head, but I never map them out. And I lose things or lose track of things so often. And it's so challenging. And thank <laughs> I'm so thankful for the folks in my life who are either admin assistants or virtual assistants or the people who help me with those processes. And I just really struggle with it. But everything in my everything in my office right now has its place and is very orderly and is very clean. And if I walk into my wife's craft room right now, I would have almost a mini panic attack. So I struggle with that, with with just stuff being everywhere visually. And that is really overwhelming to me. But other other than that, like everything is very rigid in my thinking. And it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, I think I thank the ADHD parts of myself for entrepreneurial success a lot, because I think that's when my creativity really starts to take over is when that part of my brain is really stimulated. And that part of me is just like, mm -hmm. then I also struggle with the fact that I will definitely hyperfixate and lose track of time and lose track of things. And then all of a sudden, I don't even know what the fuck I was doing for the last hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which that experience, right, can either feel so good or so terrible, probably depending on what's grabbed our attention for the hour. Um, like, I, I hate the feeling of wasting time. I think it's um, one of the worst feelings in the world. So if it's been something like that, it feels terrible. And I, it's almost like I want to figure out how do I get that time back? I think yes. it's just part of being really existential. And I see this a lot in autistic ADHD people. I'm very aware I'm going to die. And so I'm very aware, like, if I just wasted an hour scrolling, that's an hour of my life I'm not getting back. Megan, I almost messaged you about this the other night. Like, <laughs> I w it was like 3 a.m. And I was thinking to myself, but like, if I go to sleep now, that's an hour lost, right? Like, what if I, what if this is really important? What if this show that I really want to watch is really important? And very aware of like, okay, I have less time going forward. I have less time going forward. And I'm thinking about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what it is 
about autistic ADHD minds that I, I noticed we tend to do that more. I don't know. Like I know for me, I definitely have a, a scarcity mindset when it comes to time. And I, I imagine partly it's because my resources, my energy resources, my executive function resources feel scarce. Um, I, I also imagine it's more than that, but it's it's certainly something I've noticed being more common among this group. Yeah, it's like um, it's like a video game life force in a way. You know, mm-hmm. while it gets depleted, you realize like I have less and less um, ability. I have less and less capability right now, and I think that if you're hyper focusing or just very aware of how depleted you get and how often you get depleted and, and just know how valuable it is when you're feeling okay or you're feeling good or you're feeling just able to complete the task on your to-do list. Like, yeah. I don't want to waste that. And it, those, those moments can be fleeting and mm-hmm. it can be really challenging to, to kind of regenerate that energy again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that before we started, you were talking about my throat and my surgery and saying like, I, I don't want to waste this resource that we have right now. And yeah, also, you know, it's just that feeling of like, there's this urgency in a way. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with you about the timeliness thing. That's really a struggle for me. Um, just thinking out loud, you know, about what we want to offer people who are going to be listening going forward. I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of what you want to offer this community and, and who Who's going to be listening to this podcast? Yeah, I I hope I that we can offer a space um, where there's some some recognition. I think um, even thinking back to the last the two podcasts we recorded on your podcast and the comments that I, I've gotten on Instagram and that you've gotten a lot of those comments, the, the ones that felt really meaningful were around like, oh, this either I feel really recognized in this or this help helps to give me language um, around this experience I'm having. I think. There are so many experiences around the autistic ADHD experience that can feel really isolating, that can feel, that can induce a lot of shame. So I think giving it space, um, like breathing space to talk about some of these things so that people feel less alone, can be more gentle with themselves is my hope. I think part of that will involve public learning, which terrifies me. Like I'm, I'm already catching my brain ruminating on the conversation we just had around identity and, and privilege, because that's such a sensitive topic. And I'm like, oh shoot, like, what did I say? How are, how are the ways that this, um, where maybe I, I wasn't as careful in my speech as I could have been, or that this could be experienced by a listener. But I think for us to do the kind of podcast we're wanting to do, being okay with public learning and with diving into that complexity, which Sounds frankly kind of terrifying and enlivening at the same time, but I think that would be that will be an element of what we're doing here. Yeah, I I I couldn't agree with everything you just said more than that. And there's going to be a lot of moments where there's going to be public learning, and I think whenever you're talking about just people and struggle and and the complexity behind multiply marginalized identity there's always room to grow and learn and i just hope that we will continue to do that and amplify voices of people who also are parts of community that that we do not exist in and just really making sure that we are trying as 
to the best that we can to just show up and and to honor space. And I don't think that people will agree with everything that we have to say about our experiences either, you know, and I think that's a part of identity. Um, and I hope that we're able to, like you said, just referencing people reaching out to us privately about either your work that you're doing on your Instagram or our podcast episodes or just whatever we've got going on to help people validate and affirm because so many people just either don't have language for experience or just don't feel supported or safe enough to talk about experience. And I think that's why we ultimately decided we wanted to do this and hope that, you know, it allows people to feel like even if they can unmask by themselves while listening, or it gives a little bit of liberation in a way, or it leads to late adult diagnosis, if that's something you're interested in, whatever it feels like that allows you to really align with who you are and, and your identity, I think is really important here. I like how you said that. Yeah. And I think going forward, you know, just trying to to talk about how we're doing too while we're going through this process. You know, it's it's interesting to co-host something. You're going to learn a lot about each other along the way. And it's just an interesting back and forth process. And I love having conversation like this and I also overthink conversation afterwards where I'm like, how did I come across? Was I like, was I a douchebag that entire time? Um, did I overthink yeah. this and say too much? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's like, that's that classic masking self, right? Um, I always miss say this. Someday I'm going to learn how to actually say it. But that experience of like going over past conversations with a fine Okay, a fine comb tooth. What am I trying to say? A fine tooth comb. A fine tooth comb. I can never say that. Like when you go over that past conversation with a fine tooth comb of like, okay, what did I say? How could it have been interpreted? Um, that anxious ruminating that is so pervasive among high maskers. Um, I mean, that until I understood what was happening, I, I spent so many hours of my life doing that. I, I still do that. And I'll, I'm sure I'll do that with this podcast. Um, but I do notice I've, I do a lot less of it now that I'm, I feel like I'm living a less, less masked version of myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely agree. And I, I like that you named that for sure. I just want to thank everyone for listening to episode number one. And we are going to continue this process and just learn and grow as we go. And I think that it's, um, this is going to be a really exciting journey to go on together. I agree. And You're looking at me like I, I should chime in here. <laughs> this is what I was talking about. I was like, how do we close episode one? And that's what uh -huh. I'm thinking about right now as I'm talking. So like my yeah. words are, are coming out faster than my thoughts. Have um, you always been bad at goodbyes? This is like an autistic thing. I, yeah. I really like goodbyes. I'm we just really like end and have it be like a really autistic goodbye where we like don't have, like we don't have a greeting we don't have an end it's just bye i i kind of like that because i got every social situation i've ever been in has ended like that and mm -hmm. it's always like how the fuck do i get out of here before i can people can make eye contact with me or before like i have to say goodbye or they or, ask for a hug yeah they won't want yeah it. Yeah, yeah, then I have to read. Do I handshake? Do I hug? Oh, yeah. Do I bump? Do we just look at each other and nod? I mean, it's... Yeah. I just always awkwardly leave and avoid the goodbye. 
Yeah. I mean, I will, I do that now. And I think I used to like linger in the space of like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I feel like I need to say goodbye. I don't want to say it. I want to leave. I, I feel bad leaving. So much, mm -hmm. so much internal dialogue for sure. Maybe so, our sign off can be something like a, a place where we don't do awkward goodbyes or a place where we do do awkward goodbyes. Goodbye. So, yeah, um, I like that a lot. So oops, a place where we do awkward goodbyes. Goodbye. And then that can just be it. I like it. Let's do it. All right. Well, a place where neuro and I just said the name of the podcast wrong. This is our. <laughs> This is a good glimpse into, into the creation world, but Divergent Conversations podcast, a place where we do awkward goodbyes. Goodbye. And now pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing. Some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up.